Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Women in the Word. My name is Vanita Jones, and I'm part of the teaching team for Women in the Word, and it is my great pleasure to be with all you ladies here today as we wrap up our study of Timothy. You know, it doesn't even seem possible that we're already at the last chapter of Timothy when we just started, didn't we? Just a few, just a couple weeks ago, it seems like. You know, my grandmother was right. She always said, the older you get, the faster time seems to go. My grandmother's name was Velma Jansen, and I loved her dearly. And I can testify to you that she was frequently correct. She was a woman of free, very few words, but when she did speak, she was rarely wrong. And I didn't have the privilege of being with her by her side when she went to be with Jesus, but I did get to spend a great deal of time around her. I didn't hear her profound last words, but I spent time under her roof for years as a young girl, and I followed her around the farm, and we would gather eggs together. We would milk cows together. We would tend to the vegetable garden. And I was even her sous chef in the kitchen because she would make huge farm meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And every day there would be a wonderful, yummy goodness, some kind of dessert sitting on her countertop waiting for us. You know, she didn't have much in the way of wealth. In fact, the farm that her and my pappy lived on was pretty small, it was kind of shabby, it needed a lot of repairs. But she worked diligently day in and day out all without grumbling, right alongside my pappy. And ladies, he was a really hard man to love. And I watched her quietly and gently love and serve not only pappy, but all the rest of us and anybody God brought into her life. She served them well. Now, even though I wasn't there on her last day, and as she passed on to be with Jesus, I could look back over her quiet and gentle life and I remembered her past actions. And I knew with confidence what her last words would have been to me. I knew they would sound something like this. Vanita, pursue Jesus with everything, with your entire heart. Pursue him in everything you do. Love others unconditionally and serve God wherever he decides to put you and serve him well. And for heaven's sakes, Vanita, focus focus, this is important, do not lose that German chocolate cake recipe I spent all these years perfecting. See, my grandma could cook, but I'm telling you, she could bake like nobody else. And her German chocolate cake, it has graced many family gatherings because my mother has carried on that torch. And I'm going to do the same thing as my mother passes it on to me, but I hope that I don't just pass on that cake recipe I hope that I pass on a whole lot more that I learned from my grandmother onto my children as well. But the big question for me at this is, will my last words match up with, with how I actually lived my life in Christ? Or will it tell a different story completely? See, today we're here at the last chapter of Paul's letter to his beloved Timothy, and we're reading what was very well his very last words to Timothy and to all of us. And, and if even it wasn't his last words, it was, it was the last that were ever recorded. So for us, these are Paul's last words. You know, I did a little Google search on last words. There are some really sad, funny, and inspiring ones out there. 
There were some humorous ones. There was like the one spoken by Groucho Marx. He said, either I'm dead or my watch has died. (laughs) And Stan Laurel. Do you remember Laurel and Hardy? I'm really dating myself. I love that show. But he he said, I'd rather be skiing. And his nurse looked at him and said, but Mr. Laurel, can you ski? And he said, well, no. But I'd much rather be skiing than what I'm doing right now. I could just see him saying that. You know, some last words I read were really sad. They were kind of empty. And they left people hopeless. I read some last words of a comedian named Del Close. And he said this on his deathbed. Thank God. I'm tired of being the funniest person in the room. I mean, that's so sad. That that's what he felt all his life. Or the last words of Joan Crawford. Do you remember her? Think wire wire hangers, you know, mommy dearest. Her nurse was praying around her bed and she looked at her nurse and said, don't you dare ask God to, take, to do anything for me. It's just sad, powerful, hopeless words. But some of the last words I read were insightful and they were encouraging. They conveyed hope to others. Now one I didn't expect to find was, was Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin, the silent film star, he died on Christmas Day in 1977. And when the priest at his bedside said, may the Lord have mercy on your soul, he looked at the priest and he said, well, why not? He already had, it already belongs to him. What sweet hope that had to give his loved ones. You know, I did a search of uh, famous Christians and their last words, and I found a few that were really, really inspiring. One was by a guy named William Wilberforce. Now, I guarantee you I cannot say that three times. William Wilberforce. And he was um, a part of parliament, and he abolished the slave trade. And he died in 1883, and he said, my affections are so much in heaven that I can leave you all without a regret. Yet I do not love you less, but I love God more. How cool is that? And one of my favorites was by a man named Mr. Judson. He was a a Baptist missionary and a Bible translator. And when he died in 1850, his last words revealed his anticipation of spending eternity with Christ. He said, I go with gladness like a boy bounding away from school. He said, I feel so strong in Christ. I can just see that, can't you? How a kid runs away from the school on that last day. Then I was doing some more of this research and I got to the bottom of the page and it would list like the person's name, what they were famous for, and the date they died, and then the famous words. And all of a sudden I came upon one that said this, Paul of Tarsus, also called the Apostle Paul, AD 66, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. It was on my Google search. It said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I love that Paul's last words didn't just make the Bible. They made the internet. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like my daddy, I can just hear my sweet daddy say, well, honey, it's gotta be true. I read it on the interweb. So it's true, it's true, it's on the interweb. Open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy 4 and follow along as I read the first five verses of Paul's last words. 
He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will and will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Paul's last words to Timothy encouraged him to do a lot of different things. See, the first thing he encouraged Timothy to do was share the gospel. And he had been doing this over and over and over in his letters to Timothy. But Paul's charge to preach the gospel this time is a very, very serious charge. And we know that because he says, I charge you in the name of God and of Jesus Christ. And he says, the one who will judge the living and the dead. So with all the authority of heaven, Paul is charging Timothy, share the gospel of Christ. Now, when Paul says, we'll judge the living and the dead and his appearing and by his appearing in his kingdom, he could mean a couple of different things. I couldn't really find for sure which one he meant. Both are true though. He could mean a couple things. He could say that one day God's people, or uh, one day we will all face God's judgment and it's imperative that Timothy share the gospel so that everyone has an opportunity to hear it and be saved. But he also could have been saying that one day all people will be judged and although the believer can approach the judgment seat of Christ with confidence, because we can fall back on the redemptive work of Christ, the believer's works will be evaluated by God. Both are correct. I'm not sure which one he meant here, but what he's saying is that one day all people will face judgment and they will be judged. Look at what Paul says about this in second letter, his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter five, verse 10. He says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then in first, his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter three, 13 through 15, he says, each one's works or each one's work will be manifest, for the day will dis disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. See, salvation is not the issue here that he's talking about because salvation is by our faith, not through our works. But Paul is talking here is about Christ's evaluation of the work that will come out of our faith that we do once we believe in Christ. Now, preaching the word is the main charge that Timothy gives, or Paul gives Timothy, and everything he says in this section is gonna relate to that very thing. He says, Timothy preached the word with all authority of heaven. Now, the meaning of the Greek word that used, they use here for preach, it's the word that means to preach like a herald. See, this Greek would have meant a great deal to Timothy because during that time, it was very common for a ruler to commission a herald who would go out and speak in a loud, clear voice and deliver a message to all the subjects. Now, it was a serious, serious consequences for this herald if they changed the message in any way. They were not to add anything to that message or take anything away from it. So Timothy is being charged by Paul to preach like a herald. He said, not only preach loud and clear so everyone can hear it, 
But you have to keep it pure as well. Keep my message pure. Don't add anything to it or take anything away from it. Paul tells Timothy also to be ready both in season and out of season to preach your word. He says, be prepared and use every opportunity to share the gospel, whether it's convenient or not. You need to tell others about the gospel. Then Paul goes on to say, use God's word to to correct wrongs. He says, rebuke sin and use it to encourage the faithful. Now that was the easy part because then he goes on to say to do it how? With complete patience. Ooh, not just patience, complete patience. That's even worse. See, he's kind of telling Paul, he says, I want you to do all this with patience. I want you to patiently afflict the comfortable, and I want you to comfort the afflicted. That's what he's charging Paul to do. Can you believe all of that is in the first two verses? Isn't that Paul for sure? Paul is so masterful at packing so much good stuff in just a few verses. Granted, some of his sentences are several verses long, and sometimes he uses more commas that should even be allowed in a, in a sentence. But I bet you Timothy felt like he was drinking from a fire hydrant, just taking all this information in as he read this letter. You know, one of the main reasons Paul made this charge to Timothy so, so serious, I think it's because what we see in verse three and four. He says there will come a time when people will, take, will turn away from sound teaching. Now, you may be thinking that in this world we live in today, that we have the market cornered on this. I mean, there are things in every corner for us to follow. But you know, it was happening back in Timothy's days in Ephesus, but guess what? It was even happening in the Old Testament. Look on your verse sheet, and look at what the prophet Isaiah says about the Israelites in Isaiah 39 through 11. He says, for they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. You kind of expect them to say, dude, like, (laughs) just teach us smooth things, you know, prophesy illusions. He said, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel, dude. I mean, he just... He sounds like he just, they only want to hear what they want to hear, and they're going to choose their teacher. You know, Paul had spent a great deal of time warning about false teachers. but This time, he's addressing the audience. Now, he touched on this last time when he talked about the women in Ephesus. Remember, he said they were spiritually weak, and they were kind of tending to to sway away from truth, and they were going into anything that sounded more interesting and more trendy for their truth. See, it was happening in the Old Testament, it was happening in Ephesus, and it's still happening today. You know, Solomon had it right. In Ecclesiastes, he said, there's nothing new under the sun. I just laugh at people when they tell me that, you read the Bible, that you read that? You believe it's true? I mean, it's so out of date. Really? (laughs) Dude, have you read Isaiah? That could be written about today. It just, it blows me away. And I just want to take him right back to this and say, see, there's nothing new under the sun. And he says that this audience has itchy ears. And those itchy ears are eventually going to kind of turn them away from the truth. Reading this stuff just makes me know that it is more up to date than any progressive writing I've ever been written ever been written. Paul is telling Timothy this. He said, don't tell people what they want to hear. 
Instead, tell them the truth that you find in God's word. Truth as delivered by God through us, it's the truth that is the power needed to live in the fullness for which God created all of us to live. And it's the only truth that will lead to complete freedom and complete peace. Paul goes on to say to Timothy, pursue godliness, persevere through suffering, and remain faithful to the gospel as you fulfill your mission to share the gospel with the Gentiles. All of this applies to us today as well. Godliness, perseverance, and faithfulness, these should all be the hallmark of our Christian walk. For each and every one of us, Paul's last words to Timothy encouraged him to share the gospel. And our last words as well as our present words should encourage other believers to remain faithful to the gospel of Christ. Let's continue on. I wanna read the next three verses. We're gonna look at verses six through eight. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In these few short verses, Paul is using his life as examples for Timothy and all Christians as well. He's referring to the present, He's referring to past and future examples as he encourages all Christians to love and serve Christ to the end of their days. First, he talks about the present. He says that by saying, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and my time of departure has come. See, what Paul has only alluded to in his letters up to this point, he's now explicitly stating it to Timothy. When he says that he's already being poured out like a drink offering, by this he's referring to his own impending death and how his death is his willing sacrifice to God. See, his imagery would have come from his Jewish heritage. Way back, I had you look this last week at Numbers 15. Way back in Numbers 15, um, it's addressed all the different offerings that we would be, the Israelites would make to God. And God defines the burnt offerings that were being made by the fire as a pleasing aroma to God. See, a drink offering was a drink offering of wine, and it was to accompany the sacrifice of animal or grain, and it would be poured onto the altar. And Paul viewed his life like that drink offering. He said, I'm being poured out before God as an expression of worship, and it's pleasing to the Lord. It's a pleasing aroma, just like Christ, the Lamb of God, sacrificed to remove our sin guilt, we are called to offer our lives as a, in service to Christ as our act of worship. That is pleasing, and it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. He also says that the time of his departure has come. Now what's interesting here is the choice of words he uses. He said departure. He didn't say anything like, my end is near, my death is near. He uses the word departure. And the Greek word that would have been for this translation was the same word used when they would talk about a ship being loosened from its moorings. You know how it would begin to drift off? I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful description. Paul sees his end of life here as a departure from this world and drifting in eternity with Christ. It's not the end, it's a new beginning. One that will be spent with Christ in all eternity. And then Paul goes on to look at his past to encourage Timothy. He says, I fought the good fight. 
You know, athletic competitions were very popular in the ancient days. We don't have that market cornered either. And their training required that athletes be focused and disciplined. See, Paul describes his life using the same terms, focused and disciplined, but he's using them to say, I fought the good fight of faith. But he had to train, he had to be prepared. He was focused and disciplined as he endured the rigors, the sacrifices, the deprivations, just like an athlete would, and he was gonna receive the victor's reward. He also says, I finished the race. See, Paul had given his all, everything, to Christ in service. And he had left it on the field. He'd left it all out on the field, so to speak. You know, I heard someone say one time that when they come to the near the end of their life, they don't care about being filled with vim and vigor. They said, what I wanna do is I wanna come, go into that last day on earth on two wheels. I don't be completely out of gas and I need of a good tune-up. <laughs> that was Paul. Wasn't it? That is exactly what Paul, Paul was saying. He had given it all. He fought the good fight of faith. He remained true to the gospel as he served Christ. And he left it all in the field as he finished his work that God had prepared for him. Look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, chapter, uh, verse 10. He says, for we all are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul was at the end of his time here on earth, but guess what? There were still people that needed to be healed. There were still people that needed to be saved. And there were still people that needed to hear about Christ, but Paul had done what he had been called to do. He submitted to God's will, and he'd done everything he'd been asked to do. That's all any of us can do. When we are gone, guess what? There'll be people that still need to hear the gospel. There'll be people that still need to believe in Jesus, but we all follow the call and we, he desires that we remain faithful to that call and, you, and go through it with endurance. Have you ever heard the old saying, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Is that right? That's exactly what he says here. That's how we finish our race. We take one step at a time, testifying to God's goodness and grace each and every step of the way. Paul had remained focused and disciplined. He remained true to the gospel, and he served Christ, and he also, he was a guardian of the gospel. He had guarded the word of God, preserved it for future generations, and that's what we've been called to do as well. Paul would look to the present, he'd look to the past, and now he's going to look to the future to encourage Timothy, and he's, he's looking forward to that day that Christ, the righteous judge, would place that crown of righteousness on his head, not because he'd been, spent so many years in service to the Lord and done it with excellence, but because way back on that dusty road to Damascus, he had said yes to Christ. He placed his trust in the redemptive work of Christ Jesus. See, the judge in Rome was about to declare Paul guilty and condemn him to death, but Christ, the righteous judge, he was gonna declare Paul righteous for all eternity. From the first day Paul had believed, he set his hopes on spending eternity with Christ. Look at 1 John 2, 24 and 25. Let what you hear from the beginning abide in you. 
If what you hear from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us. Eternal life. Eternal life. See, after Paul first believed, he sets his sights on spending eternity with Christ and he wanted to make sure that everyone else had that same opportunity. Over the course of Paul's life as a believer, he had set an example for young Timothy to follow. And his last words to Timothy were a reflection of those past actions as he loved and served Christ. You know, last week at our table, we got into a discussion about last words and someone shared with us that they knew a woman who had been because of her illness, knew that her time, on, uh, time was short, and she decided to write letters to all of her children. And in those letters, like Paul did to Timothy, she was gonna include all her last words to each child. Now, I don't know for sure what they said, but I would guess those last words were filled with instructions and encouragement, just like Paul's letters to Timothy. I think it's a marvelous way to ensure that her last words are heard, but it made me stop and think. I wonder if I wrote letters to each of my children and I, and I instructed them on all the important matters in my life, all the while referring back to my life as an example for them to follow, and then I left those letters unsigned, would they even know those letters are from me? Or would they read those letters and would they say, you know, I thought these were from my mom. This doesn't sound like mom at all. See, with those last words in my letters line up with my past actions. See, our last words only have meaning if they're a true reflection of our past actions. Look at 1 John 2, 4 through 6 on your verse sheet. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we live a life loving, serving, and pursuing Christ, our last words will be a reflection of our past actions. Don't misunderstand me, and I'm not saying a perfect life at all, but it's a life where we serve Christ from an overflow of gratitude for his saving grace and leave all the results of our service up to the sovereignty of God and not try to control it. Paul knew this and his last words to Timothy and all of us reflected it as well. Let's continue on. I'm gonna read the next um, several verses. I'm gonna start at nine and read to 21. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. I don't know how to say this guy's name, so I'm kind of calling Mr. T. Mr. T, I have sent to Ephesus. Shelly told me I could say that. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, and all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. 
There is a lot being revealed right here. It may sound like a list of names, but there is so much important information, and I hope you didn't race through this. See, in all of these verses, Paul is encouraging Timothy to acknowledge God's blessings. And first, he talks about relationships. And Paul doesn't gloss over the fact that he's had some difficult relationships. Instead, he chooses to point out God's blessings in both the good and the bad relationships. And he emphasizes that his most important relationship is the one with his Savior, Jesus Christ. First of all, in this list, he mentions Demas. Now, this was one of his fellow laborers. He was in Paul's inner circle, and he had spent a great deal of time with Paul. But it says here that he deserted Paul, and Christ for that matter, I guess, to pursue the pleasures of the world. So it seems he started out well, but eventually he fell away. It seems hard for me to believe that a guy who not only studied the Bible and studied scripture, he studied with Paul, the guy that God used to write most of the New Testament, and he still fell away to chase after the world. See, this should serve as a warning to all of us. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 12 on your verse sheet. It says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We will be tempted to chase after the world. Look what it says in the next two verses, though. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We will be tempted to chase after the things of this world, but God is faithful to give us a way out each time we're faced with the temptation. When we get back to that list, we see Christians. He was one of Paul's fellow laborers who, who sent to Galatia. And Titus was one of Paul's, what I read, trusted troubleshooters. And he had sent him to Dalmatia. Now, when you read this, it almost makes you think that these guys had left to go to these other cities to chase after the world. But that's not the case at all. He had been, they had been sent there to preach the gospel, just like Paul had sent Timothy places and, and each person, uh, other apostles to other cities. And then he talks about Luke. Luke was the beloved physician. He was by Paul's side most of the time. And he apparently was the only one left there with Paul at this time. It's even thought, after some of the stuff I read, that, that Luke may have actually been the one that transcribed this letter, that Paul may have dictated it to him. I don't know that for sure, but he was by his side while he was there. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, remember Barnabas the encourager? See, this guy is with him now, or this guy, this guy he says now is useful for ministry. This is really significant. See, Mark had failed on his first missionary journey. So Paul refused to take him on that second missionary journey, and it caused a falling out between Paul and Barnabas. Paul went one way, and Barnabas and Mark went another way. But somewhere along the way, this relationship must have been restored because Paul has changed his tune about Mark. See, this should encourage all of us because it helps us to know that one failure in Christian service does not have to follow us every day of our life. It doesn't mean that our whole life is a failure. And it shows us that Paul had a very forgiving nature as well. He was willing to forgive Paul, or Mark and he allowed God to restore that relationship instead of hanging on to bitterness and anger and never trusting Mark again. 
And then what would have happened? I mean, maybe the gospel message would have been hampered to some cities. But he had forgiven him and says now he's useful to the mission. And then he mentions Mr. T. Now, Mr. T was a believer, and he was from the province of Asia. He willingly accompanied Paul, and it said that he ministered to Paul's needs. I'm not sure exactly what that meant, but he was always with him. Paul had originally sent Mr. T to Crete, and he was going to re relieve Titus while he was there. But now it seems he's sending Mr. T to Ephesus to relieve Timothy. I think Mr. T was kind of a relief pitcher in Paul's baseball team of apostles, doesn't it sound like? It says, if you know anything about baseball, you know that the relief pitcher comes in, wins the game, and he gets none of the glory and none of the recognition. That, I think, was Mr. T. He was important to the game, but we didn't hear much about him. Next is Carpus. Carpus lived in Troas and had most likely offered hospitality to Paul somewhere along the way. During one of those times when Paul was there in Troas, apparently, like so many other times, he had made a hasty departure because he was usually running out of the city. <clears throat> and he left behind a cloak, a scroll, and especially his parchments. And he wanted Timothy to make sure he grabbed those on his way. And then we skip ahead a few verses and we see in 19 through 21 several other people that, that Paul mentions as fellow believers who had God had blessed him with throughout his years. This list of people may seem kind of unimportant, but it speaks volumes to Timothy and to all of us as well. See, of this list, only Luke was still with him, but Paul was able to recognize God's blessings in all of his relationships, not just the good ones. He knew that even those difficult relationships served a purpose in the light of God's love for him. But he didn't only recognize God's blessing in relationships, he also recognized God's blessings and God's sovereignty in both the good times and the bad times. As Paul is, looking, as, as Paul is thinking about Timothy's journey to Rome, he realizes that Timothy is probably going to come across this guy named Alexander the coppersmith. Some of your translations might have said the metal worker. Now there's a great deal of speculation about who this guy is. And it's, nobody had any real conclusions because Alexander was a very common name back then. But Paul's last words suggest that Alexander played a leading role in getting Paul arrested. Regardless of who he is, this dude had caused difficulty for Paul. Apparently, he was an outright opponent to the gospel message. And he wanted to make sure that Timothy knew, watch out for this guy. He's a problem. But Paul's words show us that he that he was sure that the final outcome with Alexander didn't rest in his hands. It didn't rest in Timothy's hands. It didn't even rest in Alexander's hands, for that matter. It rested in the hands of God. And he handled this situation very balanced. He said on one hand, he, he refused to speak any retaliation or, or plot of revenge, but on the other hand, he wasn't naive either. He warned Timothy, be careful on your journey to Rome. And he encourages Timothy to choose forgiveness over bitterness. You know, Paul had most likely had had, had a pre-trial hearing <clears throat> to determine the grounds of his accusations. And in verse 16, he says that no one came to his defense. But even worse, he said his friends had deserted him. He had been betrayed and he'd been left to defend himself before the council. But again, he viewed these circumstances through the goodness of God by choosing gratitude and forgiveness rather than bitterness. 
Now, Paul's purpose in recounting this story to Timothy was not to elicit sympathy or pity, but rather it was to encourage Timothy to focus on the goodness. Focus on the goodness and the sufficiency of God instead of on the things that that hurt and were bad. He says, the Lord stood by my side and he gave me strength. And he gave him strength, not just as a personal favor to Paul, he gave him strength so what? The gospel message could continue to go to the lost world. He had a passion to preach the gospel and his arrest and his imprisonment was not going to stop him. Paul also recognized God's protection. You know, over the course of his life, he had, God had rescued him from death over and over and over again. But he realized that his departure was now near. And he saw his death not as a victory for the Roman legal system, but rather he saw it as a rescue by God. And I love that even in the facing his own death, Paul could do nothing but praise God when he says, to him be the glory forever and ever. Look at the last verse that, Timothy, that we, he records to Timothy. It says, the Lord be with you, your spirit, and grace be with you. See, the per- first part of this verse, the Lord be with your spirit, the your used here is a, in the singular form. So this was specifically written for Timothy. Paul closes his letter to Timothy with the same hopes he had echoed throughout the entire letter that this young man who he was passing the torch to would be strengthened by the Lord as he protected and shared the gospel. And that he would be able to remain faithful to the end just like Paul had done. But the last part of this verse, the grace be with you, the you is in a plural form. So guess what that means? That's for all of us. Paul is writing this to us. You may have noticed that Paul opens and closes his letters with the mention of grace. Now I read something that letter writers in Paul's day, day commonly used a, uh, used a common farewell. It would be kind of, so, it was sort of a way that it would keep it from being forgery. So no one could write a letter. If, if Timothy had received this letter and it had just said, Paul, Timothy would have known this is not really from Paul. It was kind of their trademark. It was so people knew this was truly from the person who had written it. I'm not sure if that's true. And I didn't read that on the interweb. (laughs) But I do think it's very, very applicable here. See, he had experienced God's grace way back on that dusty road. And he'd spent all his years after that testifying to the gospel of grace And now he's in in his very last words, praying for grace to be the driving force in all of our lives as well. Paul is saying to all of us, let God be the trademark, let let God's grace be the trademark of your life. You know, all this talk about last words had me thinking while I was writing this, and I thought, what would my last words be? And I'm a very visual person. I have to think about things, imagine it. And I started to imagine myself lying in my room and my adoring family around me in my neat, tidy bedroom. (laughs) And my last words would be something really profound like, I fought the good fight. I've run the race and I've finished strong. And then I just go on to be with Jesus. But ladies, seriously, that will never happen. I know that will never happen. I have no idea when my last day is gonna be. I have no idea how I'm gonna spend that last day. And even if I do end up there, 
My family may be around my bed, but it is not gonna be neat and tidy. There will be clothes piled in the chair just like they were when I left this morning. The sheets will need of a good washing just like they were when I left this morning. And my children, bless her heart, I love them all, they're precious to me, but I can guarantee you they'll all be on their phones. <laughs> and if they're not on their phones, they're gonna be arguing about who's gonna clean up after mom's gone. And then I have this brain that's so unfocused, I can barely put two words together sometimes, and I'm sure I'll get to my last words, even if I get to express them, and it'll be something like, I forgot to turn off the coffee pot, <laughs> and then I'll be gone. <laughs> I can see that happening in my life. That is the reason I have to start living out my last words right now. See, the Bible does not record the final days of Paul, but tradition tells us that he eventually was found guilty and he was sentenced to die. But we know this for sure, Timothy and other devoted believers carried out Paul's work and we're gonna continue to carry it on today because there are still people that are hurting and need to hear about Christ. John Wesley used to say, God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. There will still be people who need to hear the gospel. Because of that, ladies, you and I must remain faithful so that future generations hear the gospel and have an opportunity to be saved. Our past and our present actions have to line up with our last words because our last words will only have meaning if they are a true reflection of our past actions. Please pray with me. Precious Father, I just thank you that you allowed us to peek in to a letter the last letter recorded that Paul wrote. Lord, you've, you've filled it with so much and so much truth for each of us. Lord, I pray that we leave here bold and we leave here with confidence and knowing that you have called each one of us to an area of our lives that we can share the gospel. Father, we love you and we love your word and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.